Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's six minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And as that jingle went that there is no box, sometimes there actually is a box. And sometimes there are rules, and you need to stick within those rules. And if you don't play by the rules, all you're going to do is think you're very clever, but down the line you're going to leave an absolute disaster in your wake. And what we're talking about today is doing a will. A will is simple if it's done correctly. If it's not done correctly and you're going to do it the way you think you want to do it, you're going to walk into a store in a mall, buy a template, take it home, knock it up, put it in your cupboard, you might be losing or missing out on one or two very basic legal requirements, and therefore your will's not valid. And when you pass away, instead of leaving everything neat and tidy, you leave an absolute disaster that your family, your children, other people need to fix up and need to pay for. So therefore, it gives me great pleasure to uh, welcome Hilary Dudley, who's the man- Managing Director of Citadel Fiduciary on the line. Hilary, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you very much, Avi. Great. I, I think you approve, I hope you approve of my intro over there. Absolutely. Very clever <laughs> with the boxes. Um, and you're quite right. When it comes to will, we have to tick some boxes. You know, it, it's one of those funny things that, you know, all of a sudden everybody can do a will for you. You, you know, your financial planner can do one. Your, your mother's friend can do one. And it's all you need to do is go to the high court and see the amount of time that is wasted. And the amount of um, trauma that is caused by fixing up them, those wills, where if you just went to the professional, you wouldn't have those problems. Absolutely, Avi. And it's not a matter only of time, it's also a matter of cost. Because with an application to high courts, you have to have an attorney who appoints an advocate to move the application for you. And that can can result in significant cost for the estate before the process is even started. So let's get straight into it. One thing that you've highlighted is Aretha Frankel's, uh, Franklin's, sorry, her legal mess when she passed away. Multiple wills found in couches. Bottom line, she never sat down with a reputable individual who's a professional at doing and drafting wills and left one will that is concise. She left an absolute mess and now to, to just add insult to injury, she has a special needs child, and that child's not being taken care of correctly because she was vague in the instruction. That's correct, Avi. From the research that I've done into the situation, it seems that Aretha started this trend as early as the 1970s because apparently she did have a, a handwritten will in the 1970s. But the wills that are being contested at the moment are more recent wills dating from 2010 and 2014, Um Two of which were apparently found in a cupboard and, and one under the sofa cushions, as you mentioned. So it wasn't even clear that she had these wills. When, when her estate was first reported after her death in August last year, uh, the media was given to understand that she had left no will and that her estate would devolve according to the law in Michigan, which governs the situation when you don't have a will. But subsequently, these wills have been discovered and and the irony is, it seems from the reading I've done that she went into lots of detail and certain respects about who should get 
what assets, but then was very vague, as you mentioned, about very key elements. For example, who should be her executor, because there were two different people mentioned in the different versions of her wills. The one was her niece, the other her son. And then, as you've also mentioned, she has a special needs son who apparently lives in a group home whose uh, care is not properly provided for, as you've said. And, and that's a key issue and probably something she would have liked to have dealt with properly. So I think, so, this is, sorry to interject sorry. there, we've just, I just need to run to the shops quickly. Um, but Hillary, that's a clear case of somebody had everything at her disposal, money, professionals, um, the ability to get things done, and yet sort of, just uh, fluffed it because it wasn't concise about it. Let's take a quick break, but when we come back, let's talk more locally with the difference between intestate and testate with a will, without a will, and let's start just laying the foundations to everybody listening as to what they need to do to get a will started, and if they have one, what they need to make sure is in place. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. This is RV on Business. I'm RVK. Great to have you back with us. On the line is Hilary Dudley, who's the Managing Director at Citadel Fiduciary. Hilary, thank you for hanging on the line there. No problem, Avi. Great. Let's jump straight into it. We're in South Africa. This is where we live. Either you've got a will or you don't have a will. What is the difference? Thanks, Avi. Yes, having a, a will uh, means you have in place a formal legal document that's been validly executed in terms of the provisions of the Wills Act. There's, so there's an actual piece of legislation governing how wills are prepared and specifically how they should be executed. And these are very stringent requirements to ensure that people's wills are not forged or that they're not signed under duress, for example. Mm. And so to have have a will in place, you need to make sure it's validly executed. And then to not have a will, we call that um, being intestate. So if you die intestate, it means you die without a valid will in place. But again, all is not lost because the South African law does make provision for that. And there's another piece of legislation called the Intestate Succession Act. And that sets out very clearly how your estate will devolve if you die without a will. So in other words, if you haven't chosen who should receive your assets, this piece of legislation will decide for you. And it's very fair and, and your assets will devolve on your family by degree of blood relationship. So for example, spouse or spouse and children in, in certain shares. And if you don't have a spouse or children, then in a line of degree of blood relationship. So it's not as if, um, you know, some people think if you die without a will, then a state will receive your assets. That's not the case. Uh, the, the family members will receive assets, but in a different proportion to how you may have liked them to devolve. Hilary, I'm so happy you said that because I was going to ask that. There was a time when there was this, this malicious rumor going around and it, it picked up a lot of momentum. And uh, it was simply that if you passed away, the government would get every penny of yours, which which could not be further than from the truth. Absolutely. Avi, only if... Your uh, blood relatives can't be located or if you don't have any blood relatives and your assets lie unclaimed for 30 years, only then will the, the assets revert to the government. 30 years so is a long time. Years. 
Yeah. Okay, Hillary, let, let, let's get straight into it. And before we start going into the areas of the world that one needs to be careful of, um, let's just get the one thing out of the way. Can a person write their own will if they get the guidelines and they do it correctly, or does it have to be done by a professional? No, not at all, Avi. If you know what you're doing and you research it, you can do it yourself. But we always caution uh, people uh, around doing that. And probably the main reason is for the scenario planning elements or the what-ifs. A professional who deals with a lot of wills and has a lot of experience in estate planning is aware of how to deal with all those what-ifs. Whereas often if you focused on your own situation, you can get a, a good will in place, but it might not work if the context changes or if your family circumstances change. So there's absolutely no prohibition on doing it yourself, provided you, you know what you're doing. Great. Let's get into it. Before we get into the points that you've laid out for us to discuss, let me just ask you one that I've come across and I think is quite important, and I'd like to know your opinion on how you would handle it, and that's got to do with religion. Um, it's very simple if, let's say, both husband and wife are part of the Dutch Reformed Church, or they're both Muslim and they belong to the same mosque or the same, they're Jewish, the same shul, and there's no issues over there. But if you have a, a relationship or a couple where there's different religions and they've accommodated each other, is it important to state in the will about the funeral um, ceremony, how you would like it conducted, whether you want to be buried or cremated or sent overseas, um, what flowers to have, what the wake should, the menu should be, etc., etc. Are those things important to mention? I think normally in a will, one would only mention very briefly if you would like to be buried or cremated. And I would recommend that if people want to record more detailed requirements, they do that in a letter of wishes, which is not a legally binding document, but it's a more apt place to record that kind of information. Your official will is not really the place to go into that kind of detail. Um, and also I think it's really important for people to talk to their family members. You know, we often shy away from having these conversations while we're alive, while our family members are alive and with us, because it can be awkward and it's it's difficult. But I think it's really beneficial to be upfront with your family while you're alive, to be clear on what you would like and why. And that will avoid any surprises or shocks after your death. It's a matter of just biting the bullet up front that you've got peace going forward. I would I would recommend that. And if it's not possible because of, of some kind of dynamic and you feel it's, you're not able to talk about it, then with, by all means record it carefully in a written legal document that, that serves as evidence of your wishes. But, but normally it, the will would not be the appropriate place for that. Um, Hilary, just on that note, before we get into it, um, is there a point of putting the cart before the horse, so to speak, um, in the sense that if a person's uncomfortable speaking to their family, could they ask them to come to you, for example, who's drafted the will, and sit down and discuss it up front with them? Absolutely. It entirely depends on the family situation. Some people are more open to talking about things than others, and, and often we find we do get involved with these kind of issues and almost 
give some kind of family counseling, if you want to call it that in a loose way. Obviously, I'm a lawyer and, and not qualified formally, but did you end up addressing these kind of issues when you're having a discussion around estate planning? Because it's, it's people imagining a difficult situation, an emotional situation at a time when they've been bereaved or their family's bereaved. So it can get complicated and we do try and guide people through that process as part of the estate planning process. Hilary, before we go on into looking at children, retirements funds and potentially bond security, let's just take a quick ad. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. Let's get straight into it. On the line, we have Hilary Dudley, who's the Managing Director at uh, Citadel Fiduciary. Hilary, let's get straight into it. One of the main concerns of a will is children. You know, if you think about it, that's why you write a will, so that your children should be able to get that which you've left behind. What are the important things to be aware of? Thanks, Avi. One of the most important things is that you need to nominate guardians for your children in your will. The parents of a child are what we call their natural legal guardians, and if one parent passes away, the remaining parent automatically remains the child's legal guardian. But if an absolute calamity happens and a child loses both their parents, then if the parents have not nominated a legal guardian in their will, the family will need to apply to the, the high court to have a guardian appointed, which again could cause delays and would cost money. So I would say with children, and remember this is children under the age of 18, you need to appoint a guardian. What happens if you don't have a guardian as such and you want to create some sort of structure for the children? So every child needs a, a legal guardian. So one could create a, a trust for the children because you've raised a very important point there. Until a child attains the age of 18, they actually can't legally inherit. And you either have to provide that the assets be held in trust for them or else failing a trust created in terms of the will, the assets get paid to the guardian's fund, which is administered by the master of the high court. So so you can create a structure in that way to administer the assets for them until they turn 18 or in some cases a bit older. Um, you can specify, for example, that their trust only terminates when they reach 25 and they're more sensible. But the existence of that trust doesn't deal with the guardianship issue because until a child reaches 18, they cannot act on their own. They cannot sign contracts without assistance. So even with a trust, you'll also need a legal guardian to assist the child until they reach the age of 18. Hilary, just two questions that have come up. I mean, one's a bit hard-hitting, and the question goes like this. Is it that bad to have the guardian's fund manage the money? Maybe the implication is, is it competent? Avi, I haven't been in person to the Guardian's Fund for some time, but when I did, perhaps 18 years ago, go to the master's office uh, and and visit the Guardian's Fund, at that stage it was still administered on an index card system. And my information may be out of date, and they may have been able to implement a computerized system. But my concern would be that there are those kind of issues that it perhaps is not efficient as one would like. Obviously, they're working hard to make sure it's all managed properly. 
but but there is that concern around um, systems and and capacity to manage the money and so on. And the other issue is that I've had experience in the past where the child cannot access the funds until they turn 18 or someone has to pay an expense for the child and then claim a refund from the guardian's fund. So I had an experience in the past where a child had inherited money from a grandparent. The grandparent hadn't said that the money be held in trust, so it was paid to guardian's fund. And then unfortunately the child became ill. The parents needed to find additional money for medical treatments and thought, well, we can use inheritance from the grandmother. And unfortunately, the the master's office, the guardian's fund, wouldn't release the money. Uh, they said first the parents must find the money to pay the, for the medical expenses and then claim a refund. Oh, what a mess. Yeah, so there are those kind of issues that, that raise concern, and that's why we advise it's probably preferable to avoid the guardian's fund if you can. Okay. Hilary, unfortunately, we are running out of time, so there's just one more question that's come through. Um, and I think it's a quite important thing to maybe discuss. And if we don't finish, if we don't finish everything today, um, I'd really like to revisit the topic because I think it's crucial. But someone's asking, they, they say, we had a scenario where we had a family member who had a testamentary trust and the testamentary trust could only come into effect once the estate was wound up. It caused more headaches than it was worth. Please unravel that for me. No problem, Avi. In terms of the law, the estate can only be distributed to the heirs once the estate is finalized. So the one exception is if the surviving spouse is the heir and the estate is solvent, generally the executor can make payments to the spouse in advance of his or her inheritance in order to allow them money to live off. But otherwise, generally, the executor can only pay the assets across to the heirs once the estate is finalized, which could take up to a year. And that would apply whether the heir was a person or a trust. So the existence of the trust itself shouldn't really make a difference in this scenario. It's more around liquidity and how the family is funded during the estate administration process. And there are various ways to address that to avoid a situation where the family is left without money to pay the bills because the estates are still in the process of being finalized. Um, would one of those ways maybe be instead of having a, a testamentary trust during the life of the person who's passed away, setting up an inter vivos trust that's managed correctly to avoid that scenario? Absolutely. I mean, that's one way. And then the other ways, for example, people take out life insurance policies and those pay out quite quickly after the death of a person. They're not uh, directly caught up in the estate administration process. And then also assets like um, retirement funding and living annuities and things like that can also pay out to the beneficiaries nominated in terms of the beneficiary nomination process quite quickly after someone has died. And, and again, those assets do not form part of the deceased estate and therefore they're not caught up in that process either. Um, Hillary, we've got a problem. We're out of time. We haven't finished the topic in its entirety. And I think it's really, really important because we still need to discuss retirement funds, bond security, and then there's still a lot of questions that we're going to archive. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind, if we can set up another interview, because I think it's a topic that really needs to be discussed holistically. With pleasure, Avi. I would like that. Fantastic. Hillary, thank you so much for coming on air, and we'll be in touch with you shortly. Thank you.